Let's pray before we even start. But before we even pray, I, I, I guess I want to say what a beautiful morning, what a beautiful day, what a beautiful opportunity to praise our Lord Jesus. No matter what happens, he knows, he understands, and he's under control. Nothing surprises our Jesus. We may be surprised, we may be shocked, but nothing surprises him. So let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning so thankful for everything that you have done for us, so thankful for the changes, for the transformations you've already made in us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the changes you continue to make in us, to make us more like you. Help us, Lord Jesus, to put off the clothes that aren't of your character. Lord Jesus, show us, help us, empower us and forgive us for when we forget to put on your beautiful clothes of righteousness. Lord, to put on your character, your love, your being, Lord. We pray that as we come to your word today, that it would pierce our heart and convict us, Lord. Help us to know the truth. We know that your truth will set us free from all the lies, from all the deceptions, from all the confusion that we hear from the world, Lord. Clarify the truth for us today in each person's heart, Lord, I pray. I intercede for each person sitting here in this room, each person that you love with a beautiful, perfect love. I pray in your precious name. Amen. So Jesus has made us different so that we can make a difference. Jesus has made us oh so very different so we can make an oh so very different, different, different place in this world. Have a look at this cartoon do you remember these little cartoons as a child? I used to love these cartoons as a child. This is what I used to spend hours and hours doing when we used to have long trips in the car. And we used to have lots of long trips in the car as kids because we used to drive long distances because we lived in the middle of central Queensland and everything was a big car trip. So these little cartoons were something I used to spend a lot of time on in the back seat of the car when I wasn't fighting with my two elder brothers and my younger sister. Who else has done this as a child? Put your hand up is as a child you'd sit there and look at these and see if you could spot the difference. As you're sitting there is my next question, Marie. Can you help yourself? Do you look at this cartoon and say... I'm sure I can spot those differences. I wonder how many there are. Have I got them all? I bet I got them before everyone else because I'm really good at this because I did this as when I was a kid. And you see, to do this task, you have to look very closely. You have to look very closely at the detail of each of these pictures to spot those differences. If you're sitting there and you can't help yourself, there's five differences, okay? So if you can find five differences, you've got them all now, you can stop. Keep going. Do you want me to run through them with you? 
there's five, there's the birds, there's the number. There's one of the birds is missing a wing. There's three flowers and the cat doesn't have a tail. There's five. There they are. You want six, don't you? (laughs) Oh, really? Okay. All right. But you know, to spot the difference, you've got to look real close. You've got to look for the detail because the overall picture is the same. But you know, when Jesus changed you and when Jesus changed me, the moment we became a Christian, he didn't make these tiny little detail changes in us. He made something radically different in us. Something that doesn't take a fine tooth comb to go through. If you were to compare us before we were saved to after we were saved, if you compare us to the world, we shouldn't be looking for small little changes. These are radical, huge changes that Jesus has made in us and is continuing to make in us. He makes us that different so we can make a difference in this world. He makes big differences in us because he wants us to make big differences in the world. Not a tail on a cat missing or a flower missing or a detail missing. They're not the differences he wants to make in our world. He has a bigger plan and a bigger purpose for us. You see, we've been talking about making an authentic life-transforming community in this place, in this house of prayer, in this place, in this place of Jesus' body. And you see, this transformation is all powered by him. It's all because of him. It's all through him. And these changes are going on all the time in us. Greater is the unseen than the seen. And sometimes we forget that. You see, the transformation of a caterpillar to a butterfly is beautiful and we can see it, we can watch it, we can touch it. But these beautiful, powerful changes that Jesus is making in us, they're in the inner man, they're in our character. He's continuing to develop and polish our character. You see, he's making lots of changes. He made lots of changes for us And he instantaneously changed us as soon as we believed. But he continues to make changes for us. And why? Why does he keep changing us? Well, he wants to change us to be different so we can make a difference. There's a purpose in the transformation process that he's doing in us and that he wants us to be as a community. So these changes, some of them are made by grace through faith. And some of these changes are made available to us to put on as we walk through this life. But we have a choice. See, we can put on those changes that Jesus makes available to us, those clothes for our inner man, or we can put on some clothes from the world. And, you know, if we keep putting on those clothes from the world, people are not going to be able to spot the difference between us and the world. They have to look very close to see some differences between us and the world because we're picking up the wrong clothes. He says, I've got some beautiful life-transforming, character-transforming clothes for you to put on and I make them available to you the moment you became my sons and my daughters. But we've got to put them on. Well, they're not going to spot the difference between you and me in the world. And what a sad life that is. What a sad waste of a life that is. So let's start with those transformations that were made available on the cross. 
The questions is, what are they? What are the transformations that were made available to us on the cross? To find out, we go to God's word. And the word we're going to go to today comes from Galatians chapter 4. So I'll ask you to pick up your Bibles. Pick up the Bible so it's in your Bible, in your hands. The words are right in front of you. You can see for yourself the transformations that Jesus made available for you and I on the cross. So Mark has told us a lot about the transformational community that he's hoping to see. And Jesus is telling us a lot here about the transformations he's already made in us at the cross. And it's got nothing to do with what we've done. These changes came by grace through faith. So let's start. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 4. We're going to just look at verses 4, 5 and 6. But we're going to go for a little journey. We're going to go through a couple of detours on the way through. But hold your Bibles open there. I will come back. We'll look at a couple of verses, look at a couple of ideas, then come back. So keep it open on your lap. Chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. The very first verse we're going to read says, When the time had fully come, God sent his son. Let's stop. And let's look at what God's telling us. When the time had fully come, and not until the time had fully come, did God send his son. That tells us something straight off the bat about this transformation process. When the time has fully come, he will make the transformations that he needs to make and that he's looking to make. Everything is under his control and everything is within his perfect timing. Nothing happens outside his perfect timing. And God's perfect timing, it's like so precise. It's more precise than a stopwatch. I mean, you can time people on a stopwatch to a three or four digit number that says 2.6895 seconds. I mean, he has it that precise. Everything is that precise that happens. Nothing comes outside of his control and his timing. The full transformation process is within his timing. I don't know about you, but I find that sometimes very difficult to grasp. I want him to hurry up. I see things in me I don't like and I think, can you hurry it up? I don't want to make that mistake again, God. But you know, sometimes I look at other people and I think, can you hurry them up too? And then he reminds me all in my perfect timing. I remember a friend said to me, Liz, stop being so impatient. God works on Fijian time. And that hits something to me. If you've ever been to Fiji, man, they do not hurry in that place. Nothing goes fast in Fiji. They'd say to us, you know, breakfast is at 8. So to me, breakfast is at 8. You'd be there at 8. Yeah. Because when I was at boarding school, breakfast was at 7. And if you didn't get it at 7, you missed out. (laughs) So I'm used to turning up to meals on time because I don't like missing my meals. But you know in Fiji, if the first number's an 8, who cares what the next two numbers is? 801, 8010, 840, 859, it's all close enough. And you see, that helps me to think there's not a verse in the Bible that says God works on Fijian time. I'm not saying that for an instant. But what I am saying is it helps to slow it down. 
But what the Bible does tell us about God's timing and about God's works is that they are perfect. Deuteronomy 32.4 says his works are perfect and his works are perfectly timed. So as Carla said to me at lunch the other week, you can chill about that one. And it's true. You can chill on God's timing. He's got it sorted. He's got a plan and he's got the timing. You see, it's like a good photographer. A good photographer knows that lighting is important to get a good picture. Focus is good to get a good picture. But timing is important to get the perfect picture too. Have a look at this photo. Imagine if the timing had been one second later. Ooh, it's a bit dark. It's a pity it's a bit dark actually because what I like about this picture is that the guy's face, you can't see it, but it's the expression on his face. You know, a point zero 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 one photo later wouldn't have captured that. It would have been too late to get the expression, to get the legs, his legs, the bull's legs. It's perfect. A good photo, a good action photo has perfect timing and God has that kind of timing, even better than that timing. In fact, God's photo, you would be able to see his face, but that's okay. He knew that we, wouldn't gonna, we weren't going to see his face today anyway. Okay, let's keep going. We're going to go back to, to verse 4 and continue. Verse 4 says that God sent his son born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law. That word redeem, I, I don't like that word redeem. I mean, it's a beautiful thing, being redeemed. But I don't like it because every time I hear it, I think, what does redeem mean again? It's one of those words that we don't use that often. But redeeming is a beautiful word because redeeming speaks of, and the Greek meaning of the word redeem is this idea of buying out. It's this idea of purchasing a slave to make them free. That's what redeem means. And that's what he said he did when he came. That's a beautiful transformation that he made at the cross for you and I so that we could be different, so that we could make a difference with our lives. You see, Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. You and I, we sin. So you and I have a price to pay for our sin before God, and that's death. He needs a death for the sin, to pay for the sin, because that's the wages of sin. And he says, but I love you so much, I will die in your place. That's redeeming us. That's paying the debt and setting us free from sinning anymore. That's what it means to be redeemed. And that's what changed when we first believed what he did for us on the cross. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're free. We're redeemed. That word redeem, 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 it's, it's we're free. We've, we've been paid for and now we're free. So the first change made available to us at the cross is that our debt's been paid and we've been made free. We are not locked into sin anymore. We can make better choices than picking up clothes that um, are dirty characteristics. We can now have a choice to pick up Jesus' clothes and have a beautiful, perfect character of Jesus. So the second change that is the result of the work that Jesus did on the cross is because he's paid our debt, we no longer have to pay with, pay with death. Eternal death is gone and we've got a new destination we got eternal life. That's a beautiful transformation in our future now. So our debt's been paid. We're free from sin. 
And we've got a new destination. There's some pretty extraordinary transformations he's made available to us on the cross. And we need to remember that we didn't do anything. We didn't make those changes happen. We didn't somehow be good enough to get those. We were filthy in our sin when we came to Jesus on the cross. He says in Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So we've been freed. We can choose now to do the right, not the wrong. We can choose which clothes we clothe our inner man, our inner character. So Jesus made us different, made us free from sin. So we could make a difference by making a different choice to obey him and become like him in the process. Let's continue on in Galatians. We're still in chapter 4 on verse 5. That we might receive the full rights of sons. Whoa, this is a big transformation here. That we might receive the full rights of sons. NIV says rights. New King James says power. We got power, we got rights, we got privileges because we've been made sons of God. That's an enormous transformation from being enemies of God to being his sons and daughters. It's enormous. As a son of God, there are enormous ramifications for us. We have a brand new identity. Our whole being is new. We're made new. Everything is made new. We're a new creation, the word says. So you see, that's been done by Jesus and we can't undo that identity. We may act in a way that's not in accordance to our identity. We may not act like sons and daughters of God. And when we don't act like a son or daughter of God, the only thing that changes is our authenticity. Now we're stepping into being inauthentic. And God doesn't want an inauthentic life-transforming community. He wants an authentic life-transforming community. So we need authentic people to be an authentic life-transforming community. And to be authentic, we've got to act like sons of God. We've got to pick up those clothes and stick them on and not take them off. We've got some changes to make. We've got some plans. There's some exciting things happening. Jesus says, come with me and continue this transformation process with me. I've got more good stuff coming. But you've got to put them on. So we're sons of God, and that doesn't change. I was talking to Claudia last night about this. I sat with her and I was saying, you know, I think um, this is, I told her that whole blurb, and then I said to her, I think I'd like to illustrate that with, with a, a real illustration of you and me, Claudia, because you're my daughter and I'm your parent, which is sort of similar to this idea of being sons and daughters of God. You're, a, you're my, you know, my physical daughter here. And I said to her, it doesn't matter what you do, Claudia, you will always be my daughter. That's your identity. You will always be my daughter. So sometimes you do things that are similar to me. And I said, and you're still my daughter. That doesn't make you more my daughter. You're still my daughter. That doesn't change that fact, what you are. And so I said to her, what do you think we do the same? What do you think's the same about us? And she lay there because I was just putting her to bed last night. 
And she lay there and she said, hmm, not much, mum. I don't look like you. You don't play basketball very well. I play basketball well. Mm-hmm. There's really not a lot. And I said, I tried to think about it too, Claudia. And I said, I thought of something. She said, oh, good. And I said, if you look in your wardrobe, your clothes wardrobe, and open it up, and then you look in my wardrobe, you'll notice there's something missing. Neither of us wear dresses. She's not a dress girl, and I'm not a dress girl. Skirts, fine. Pants, fine. Shorts, fine. Dresses, we just don't do dresses. And you could see she's relieved. Oh, finally, we've got something in common. That's good. And then I said to her, but that's kind of surfacey stuff. I'm wanting to talk about the inner man, the character. Can we get something deeper than just dresses? And I said, what about expressions? Because you know how sometimes in families they use the same expressions. They kind of have these, they say the same things. So what is it that we kind of say the same? Little phrases. And she said, oh, mum, we don't have the same phrases. Yours are way too old-fashioned. I looked at her and I thought, you know, she's right though. I don't go around saying, yo, what's up, dude? She does. That's her normal everyday text language, isn't it, James? She says, yo, what's up, dude, when she texts me. And I say, fine, thank you, Claudia. So we don't have that. But we did have the dresses. And then I said to her, okay, so what about some differences? What's different about us? She said, oh, that's easy. I said, really? She said, I don't tell bad jokes, mum. I looked at this girl and I thought to myself, stop. I looked at this girl (laughs) and I thought to myself how easy it was for her to come up with something that was different. And then I said to her, but that doesn't make me any less your parent and that doesn't make you any less my daughter. Whether there are things that are the same about us or whether there's things that's different about us, that stays and she agreed. She smiled even, which was nice, after the old-fashioned and you don't tell good jokes. So our identity stays the same. We are sons of God, whether we act like it or not. The only thing that changes is whether we're authentic or not. That's the thing that changes, and that speaks volumes to people because our actions speak louder than words. So we have to think carefully about what clothes we're putting on. Jesus' clothes or the world's clothes. So we can act in accordance with our new identity of sons of God. We can do good works. We can be authentic. We can choose that because God gave us that choice on the cross because we're freed from sin now, remember. That transformation has been made. The choice is there. But do we really get this? Do we really get the extent of that change? I want to try and demonstrate it. I haven't done an object lesson for so long. And I love object lessons. Okay. I want you to think about on um, Remembrance Day, which was Friday. And it kind of um, took my attention, the Courier Mail. This is Fridays, I think. Yep. So this is Remembrance Day. And on Remembrance Day, you'll see lots of these red poppies. It's even called Red Poppy Day. And there's these beautiful smiling girls. And you can see on their school uniform on the, on the top here, they wear a little red poppy, which is lovely. It's a beautiful tradition. I love Remembrance Day. 
because so many people did so much for us back there in those worlds. It, it signifies the end of that horrible, horrible war. And these red poppies are signifying the blood that was shed in that war so that we don't forget what was done for us back then. So we have these free lives. And I looked at that red poppy and I thought, it's a beautiful thing to remember, but it's only on one day a year. And it's this tiny little thing that we add on to our outer clothing. And then at the end of the day, what do you do with the red poppy? You chuck it. So it's a temporary remembrance and it's an add-on. But, you know, our new identity as sons and daughters of God is no poppy that's added on and remembered maybe one day a year on Christmas Day when we think about this beautiful baby in a manger and then on the next day chuck it. Our identity is something that permeates our whole being. So when we change from being an enemy of God to a child of God, it changed all of us. We're totally new. So here's the object lesson that's trying to demonstrate that. You see, we started, we come to Jesus with nothing, absolutely nothing. And then Jesus says, I'll die for you on the cross and my blood is actually going to change you completely. That cordial goes all the way through that water. It doesn't sit on the top. It doesn't sit on the bottom. It's not a little add-on like a poppy that you add on the, on the front of a uniform. Mm. Jesus' blood changes us entirely. It permeates every cell in our body. We don't look different on the outside, but he's not interested in our external bodies. He's going to change them later when he returns. But right now, he says, I want to make some changes on the inside of you. And right now, in order to make those changes, I'm going to make you my sons of God. I'm going to make you sons and daughters of God. So we've got to remember that this is a permanent change here he's made in us. It's not an add-on. It's not a spot-the-difference thing. It's a complete renewal in us. This is the beginning of an enormous transformation process that goes on beyond the day we die because then he gives us a new glorious body beyond the day we die. And I was reading about this week and I really wanted to talk about that today too because I got all excited about this fantastic glorious body we're going to get when he comes back. But we'd be here for three years, so I'm not going to go that far. But... What I want to, I guess, demonstrate here is to say his blood changes us completely. It's not an add-on. His transformation is radical. It's enormous. I don't know if we'll ever, ever fully understand it. I don't think we will. It's beyond our understanding. His word says his love is beyond our understanding. So we are now his sons and we are his daughters. And he is our loving father. It's understanding he's our loving father. And he loves us with his perfect good character. He doesn't love us like an earthly father who sometimes stuffs up. He loves us with perfection, with a perfect character. And part of his good character that he loves us with 
And I just want to focus on one part of his beautiful character today that he loves us with, is his compassion. Do we understand compassion? Do we put on compassion? In Psalm 103.13, we read, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So he shows us his compassion by extending compassion to us as his sons and daughters. Because he's our dad now. He extends compassion to us. And we know that he can extend compassion to us because he's full of compassion. James 5.11 tells us so. He says, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. It's a particularly Jesus-like character. It's a Jesus thing. It's a God thing. Compassion. To understand compassion, we need to look at Jesus' life of compassion. And I want to go through a couple of things that in the book of Mark, he, he follows him and he gives an account of all these instances where he showed compassion and what that really is. And I want you to notice there's a two-step thing that Jesus does whenever he extends compassion. The first thing he does is he recognizes and he understands and he sympathizes with the need of the other person. He sees it in the other person. He recognizes it and he he sees the suffering often in the other person. That's the first thing Jesus does every time. And the next thing he does is he acts on that. He doesn't say, oh, too bad. Or as my children often, I hear them saying, sucked in. It's not like he looks and pities and says, too bad, too sad, I'm out of here, I'm busy. He looks, he sees, he recognizes, he understands, he pities, he sympathizes, and then he acts to help. That's compassion because that's what Jesus does. Let's look at this pattern. Let's look at Mark's account of Jesus' actions when he took compassion on lots of different people. In Mark 1.41, we read about when Jesus heals a man with leprosy. We read, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. So he's filled with compassion. He sees this man with leprosy. So leprosy is a horrible, horrible disease. And back then, if you had leprosy, you were out of the village. You had to live way out on your own. You're totally excluded because they didn't want to get leprosy. And it was this horrible disease. They were deformed. They looked horrible, really horrible. People wanted to stay away from them. So no longer, not only did they have a physical disease to contend with, they had to suffer through being excluded, being isolated, being thrown out of the village, go somewhere else. You're less than us now. But when Jesus saw them, he took compassion on this man with leprosy. He sees the physical illness. He sees the social exclusion. And then Jesus did something. He healed him. He acted on that. He acted on what was stirred up inside of him. Let's look at another situation. Mark 6.34. This is when 5,000 people are gathered around Jesus. We read, when Jesus landed... Okay, I need to stop there. When Jesus landed... Whenever we're reading the Bible and you come across when Jesus landed, was he in a spaceship? I mean, was he trying to avoid aliens? Was he landing a plane? He landed. What was going on? See, what had happened just prior is that he just said to the disciples, come with me. Let's go to a quiet place on our own where you can get some rest. So they jumped in the boat. 
climbed in the boat, I don't know, walked, got in the boat, and they went to this place where they were going to have some rest. But you see, these people saw them, and they were so hungry to hear from Jesus that they ran on the land and ran ahead so they could catch up with him. So, when Jesus landed on the side after they've gone on the boat to try and find a quiet spot, instead they find 5,000 people there waiting for them, and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So there's the compassion, there's the first step. He could see that they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were lost. And then he did something. And this was before he did the five loaves and fishes thing. The first thing he did is he began teaching them many things. So notice he, they were going to go and have a rest, but he taught them many things. He just didn't tell them something and say, good, that's over, done my bit, I'm out of here to get some rest. He stopped and out of his compassion he acted and taught them many things. He went the extra mile. So Jesus did something. He began teaching as their shepherd. He gave them what they needed to be found. He taught them truth. Look at another situation, Mark 8 verse 2. Now there's 4,000 gathered around Jesus. This is a new situation and a different group of people. So he taught and fed the 5,000 and then Mark tells us about another incident. This is the 4,000. This isn't such a well-known parable. He says in Mark 8 too, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. Again, step one, Jesus understands their suffering. He recognizes their need. He sympathizes with them. He understands them. He empathizes with them. He understands their need, that they're hungry, they need food, which tells us he understands all our needs, our social needs, our physical needs, our material needs, the whole lot. He sees and recognizes them all. He knew they needed food. And then we're expecting him to act now, aren't we? Because we know step one is to be stirred up and noticed and step two is to act. So in Mark 8.8 8, we read, The people ate and were satisfied. He fed them. He acted. What am I doing up here wrong? Jesus did something. That was seven lines, a few small fish. He did something. And I've done something here. I don't know what I've done. But something's not happening. No, it's happy again. But what we need to understand here is that Jesus' compassion extended not only to the 5,000 who were Jews. The first group were mostly Jews. And his compassion extended to them. The second group of people, they weren't Jews. They were the Gentiles, the 4,000. And his compassion still extended to them. So Jesus' compassion, Jesus' character extends beyond all boundaries, doesn't matter, colour, race, gender, intelligence, socioeconomic background. He has compassion on us all. That's 
Jesus' compassion. That's Jesus' character. And they're the clothes we have available at our feet because we believed in what he did for us on the cross. We just got to pick them up and put them on if we want to be compassionate to all people. Because Jesus' compassion is not picky. It's not inclusive. It's, it's not exclusive. It's not only if you meet these conditions. His compassion is broad. So Jesus' compassion led him to heal. Jesus' compassion led him to teach from his word. Jesus' compassion led him to feed those who were hungry. So Jesus and, and our Father God extends compassion to us because he's a loving Father. And as a loving Father, he doesn't just give us compassion. He gives us many good gifts. Listen to what Matthew says in Matthew seven eleven. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He's bursting to give us so much because he wants to change us so much to be just like him. He wants to make us so different to the world so we can get out there and make a difference with our lives. There's purpose in our life and there's purpose in the suffering that we're going through every single day because, you see, our suffering helps us identify with others' suffering and our suffering shows us how to have compassion for others who are suffering. None of us dodge suffering, not one of us. Not one. So these beautiful gifts that God's giving us because he's our heavenly father. There's an extraordinary gift that we haven't talked about yet that he gave us as soon as we became his sons and daughters. So we're going to go back to Galatians. Back to Galatians chapter 4. We're now at verse 6. We read, Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Daddy, Father, our loving Dad. You see, the gift of his spirit is a gift of power, which is in each one of our hearts. It's the most beautiful gift, and it's the gift we, we can easily and most easily probably forget because we don't pin it on the outside you see, the Holy Spirit permeates our very being. The Holy Spirit changes us and keeps changing us. And the Holy Spirit is a Holy Spirit of power. We have power. Jesus, I mean, Jesus' words were told again in Acts 1 verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This transformation process is continuing on through his power. Let me read the Greek word meaning for this word power so that we get a bit of a broader grip on this power that we have available to us. Let's run through the list. It's strength power, it's ability, it's inherent power, it's power for performing miracles, it's moral power and excellence of soul, the power and influence which belongs to riches and wealth, it's power and resources arising from numbers, it's power consisting in 
or resting upon armies, forces and hosts. It's power for an authentic, life-transforming community. We have the power to be an authentic, life-transforming community because each of us has the power residing right here in us. So having the power of Jesus' spirit here in our hearts makes us different so we can make a difference. So at the cross, a lot happened. And I haven't talked about all the transformations. I focused in on the sin debt that was paid when we were redeemed and set free. I've talked about the transformation about our new destination, our new future, our eternal life with him. That's a radical transformation that only he could purchase for us. And we were made sons of God. That makes a difference, a big difference. We're the sons of God. So all of that happened on the cross. But what about the ongoing transformations? What else is happening? What other changes are going on in us? What transformation is Jesus empowering us through his spirit in us? What's he making today? What changes are happening now? This very moment as we're studying his word. This morning when we got up out of bed and got dressed. What changes are going on through his power? Well, we need to look at his power. We need to look at this ongoing work that he does. We need to be assured that this work is going on and he's continuing to do this work in us. And we can be assured by his word which says in Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He began a good work in us on the cross But he's still doing something with us. He's carrying it on until the day of Jesus. So it's happening. The unseen spiritual transformation is still happening. And that's comforting to me. Because, you know, sometimes I feel like, am I making any progress here at all? Am I really moving forward? I've just made that mistake again, Lord. How can I do that again? How come I didn't get it last time? I find myself doing that again, Lord. And he says, come back to me, Liz. I'm doing a good work in you and I'm not going to let you go and I'm not going to give up because his love perseveres. I'm so thankful he perseveres with us. He doesn't give up. We're a project he will never give up on. He says, you've got the clothes. Let me help you put them on. You've just forgotten to put them on. You've forgotten that you're my son or my daughter and your clothes are right there with you. You haven't changed being my son or daughter just because you haven't acted like my son or daughter. Come back to me. I will forgive you. I will forgive you for being inauthentic and not acting like my son or daughter. And he says, and I will help you pick up my clothes, my character. Instead of the world's character, we get distracted when we pick up the wrong clothes. So the one piece of clothing that we've talked about today is his compassion. 
We've seen his compassion. But it's not going to make any difference. It's not going to transform us on the ground. Colossians 3.12 says, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. We've got to clothe ourselves. This bit we need to get involved in. He does a whole heap by grace through faith. That's been done for us. And now he says, pick up the clothes, work with me, come with me. You can interact with me. I'm your father now. You're not my enemy anymore. You're my beautiful daughter. You're my beautiful son. Come with me and I'll help you clothe yourself so that you can be more like me on the inside. You see, we can clothe ourselves with compassion or we can clothe ourselves with dispassion, disinterest, being detached from people. That's the choice that we have. You see, he did something to us here on the cross with his blood, but we still have a choice. This transformation process is still going on. The cup's not full yet. You see, we can go to the world. We can go to the world and pick up their clothes and say, oh, who cares? Someone else will look after them. Oh, they're not suffering that much. Actually, they brought that all on themselves. We can be dispassionate. We can be detached. We can ignore the suffering in the world. And you know what we do? We dilute him. We dilute the blood that he shed on the cross for us to be like him. Every time we pick up those dispassionate clothes and he says, come back. He says, come back. I'll forgive you. Come back and pick up my clothes, my character. Because you see, his character makes it redder. We need to be red, bright red in this world. Blood red. We don't want to be dark in a dark world. You won't spot the difference between us and the world. We need to be red against black. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about transforming us to be an authentic, life-transforming community. It starts with each one of us on the inside. He's done a whole heap to make us red. Now it's up to us to keep putting him on, to keep putting him on. Let's choose the cordial, not the water. So this compassion, this compassion that we saw in Jesus with the man with leprosy, he did two things. He saw it, he understood his suffering, and he did something about it. You know, it's the same for us. If we want to put on compassion, we need to see it. And you know, we can see it because everyone's suffering is not that different to our own. You see, we've all had leprosy. We've all been sin sick, all of us. We've all been separated from God. We've been put out of his village because our sin separated us from him. We know what that's like. We know what it's like to be physically sick with an illness. We know what it's like to be excluded and left out. We know that pain. We know that suffering. We know that dejection, that humiliation when we're excluded. I'm, I'm, 
this whole idea of being excluded is just has been burning in me for about a year. And it keeps coming back. It's like God keeps reminding me, don't forget the pain of exclusion. It's horrible. See, his compassion is not exclusive. He went to the Jews and fed them, and he went to the Gentiles and he fed them. He did the 5,000, then he did the 4,000. And, you know, I keep talking to people in my counselling rooms whose grief is being excluded. I was talking to a lady and... um, She's been bullied at work. So her issue is workplace bullying. She's got a long list and it's been going on for years. Heaps of horrible stuff in a place that you'd never expect to be treated like that. And when I listen to all her stories and I I, um, go with her on that journey as she tells those stories, because part of it is she's got no one to tell. When I watch her telling the stories, the most difficult story for her to tell is the one when she talks about lunchtime. She says, at lunchtime, Liz, she says, my boss comes out of his office, he goes and invites the other three people in our office, he takes them back to have lunch with him in his office, shuts the door and leaves me alone, uninvited. Now, this lady's got a list this long of issues with workplace bullying. But for her, that's the one where she breaks down. That's the one that cuts to the core of her. That's the one that causes the pain and suffering for her in amongst a whole heap of other stuff. Let's not underestimate the pain and suffering that other people feel when we exclude them. It's not nice. So we notice it, we understand it, we recognise it, we sympathise with it, but then we must act to include them. It's not enough to pity and say, ooh, must be lonely out there. I'm okay, I'm included. We've got to put on Jesus' compassion. We've got to put on his red blood clothes and be Jesus to that person who's feeling excluded. The 5,000 lost sheep, he taught them. He saw that they were lost without a shepherd and he taught them. Now notice the 5,000 were the Jews. And if we look at our common day, this is us, people in the church who were lost and they're strayed. They're straying away from Jesus. They need to be taught. They need the word of God. Come back, come back. We know what it's like to stray from God. We know how that feels We know what happens if we don't spend time with him. There's many Christians that are in the same situation who we can have empathy with, but then we must act. You know, last um, Sunday, or was it the Sunday before fellowship lunch? Anyway, the last fellowship lunch, I saw something and I thought it was beautiful compassion. You see, I don't know about you, but have you ever um, had trouble, you know, with um, those plastic plates? And they all come together. There must be like 500 of them and then they squash them all in. And then when you try and pull them apart, you can't pull them apart because they're all squashed in. So I know I've been there and I've got frustrated and I've got annoyed and, you know, this is my little suffering story. Poor me, pity me. I can't get the plates apart. And it happens at fellowship lunch. Has it happened to you at fellowship lunch? You know, at the beginning you get a plate and you go along and get all your food. 
So anyway, last, it was dessert. It was actually dessert. So my mind is on, oh, shall I have the chocolate slice or shall I have that other little nice slice? Anyway, I noticed a beautiful sister. She was standing at the beginning before all the desserts and she was pulling all the plastic plates apart so that the next person that came along wouldn't have to struggle with those plastic plates. You see, I struggle with the plastic plates. Finally, I've got it. I want some food. All about me. But this beautiful sister, as I watched her pull those plates apart, and I thought, she struggled with the plates. She understands the suffering when you pull those plates apart. And she thought, I want to have compassion on my brothers and sisters who come after me. So I'll pull these plates apart for them so they don't have to go through the suffering I went through when I was pulling those plastic plates apart. That convicted me. I stood there and I looked at this beautiful woman and I thought, there's Jesus' compassion all over her. She's red, 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 blood red. Beautiful. That's compassion. It doesn't have to be huge, big things. Sometimes it's right in front of us, the needs of our brothers and sisters around us. We can do that at a fellowship lunch. And then there were 4,000 people. These were hungry people that Jesus fed. These are the Gentiles. These, in modern day times, are the people that are outside the church. They are hungry out there for God's word. They are hungry out there. They don't even know what they're hungry for. They just know that they're suffering and it's not good. We can empathize with them. We know what it's like to be without Jesus too. It's a horrible, lonely place. It's a hungry place. But you know, if we look at the world, and I thought about, we were having this discussion at dinner the other day and we, talked, we were talking about Remembrance Day. And you know, in olden times, we're talking about Morse code. They used to, to have this message, SOS, save our souls. That used to be the message way back when in Morse code. But, you know, technology has kind of improved a bit now. We don't have to send Morse code to connect with one another, to message one another. No, we can just pick up a phone and text as quick as this. But, you know, an SMS is save my soul. An SMS is self-oriented. An SMS says, oh, my soul is saved. Whew. Thank goodness for that. Maybe we need to go back in our technology and go back to saying, Lord, save our souls. There are so many more that need to be saved. We need to reverse it. We need to go back to SOS. There's a lot of souls out there that are hungry for God's love and God's compassion. And they will see God's compassion in us if when we get up in the morning and get dressed, we remember to put on his compassion, his compassion that sees the suffering, that sees the need and acts on the suffering and acts on the need. Jesus made us so very different and so very red 
so we can make a difference in a world of hungry people. The world is tempting us with maybe dispassion. Maybe the world is tempting us to put on the latest fashion. God says, put the clothes on where it matters in the inner man. And there's many more beautiful character traits of God. Compassion is just one. There are so many clothes lying at our feet with his perfect character ready to be put on. And he's given us the power to make that choice, to put them on. We're free now to put on his character and his clothes. We weren't free before. We were a slave to sin. We were a slave to putting on the worldly clothes, the selfish clothes, the dirty clothes. He says, I've given you the power to choose to put on my character and my clothes because you're different now. I want you to make a difference in this world. Your life has purpose and it has meaning and I've got a plan all mapped out. But you're going to need these clothes because sometimes it's tough on that road. I won't leave you. I'll I'll be with you. I'll empower you. But you need these clothes. Otherwise, you're going to blend into the dark and they won't spot the difference between you and a bleak, painful world that they live in. Let's be that authentic, life-transforming community that God wants us to be. He's already transformed us somewhat, but there's more to go. And he's holding our hand. He's holding our heart and saying, I'm with you to do that. I'm with you to do something really special with your life. Come walk with me. Come put my clothes on you. Be red. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray, fill our whole being with your compassion, Lord. Your compassion that sees others' needs. Lord, get our eyes off our own needs, our own selfish desires, our own self, Lord. Put our eyes on others. Fill us with your compassion, Lord Jesus. Help us put on your clothes of compassion. Every day, Lord. Help us remember to do this every single day, Lord, to put you on and to put the world off, to put our old man off, Lord. It's dead. It's you that live in us, Lord Jesus, but we've got to keep putting you on and we struggle to do that sometimes. We get distracted, Lord. We don't want to be distracted anymore, Lord. We want to live for you and we want to live a red life Lord Jesus, pick us up again, Lord Jesus, when we fall. Pick us up again, Lord. I pray in your holy and precious name. Amen.